All right, we're going to go to the very heavily used book of Philemon tonight. So if you'll join me over there, you may go, Pastor, I know better. There's no Philemon. There is. There is. I know we don't talk about it much, but it's a beautiful book. It's a, it's a good reminder, too, that most of the New Testament, well, all of the New Testament, uh, outside of the Gospels and the book of Acts, they're letters. The book of Acts, too, is a letter as well, but they're, they're letters from real people to real people that are serving Jesus Christ. I'm teaching in the college right now, and I was joking with Trent about this. I, I told him, start noticing how often I mention the book of 1 John, because it's going to be pretty often. I'm, just, I'm in that book every week, writing test material on it. But one of the most important things that we see in 1 John is the instruction to love one another. It's actually the test of one's fellowship. Uh, you can be born into God's family. You have eternal life. You are guaranteed promises as a part of being a child of God, and yet you do not have proper fellowship with the Lord. And that's something that I think a lot of people miss out on because we get satisfied with the fact that we're saved. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with being satisfied with our salvation, but it should move us to fellowship. And a lot of people want to know what that's like. You know, is fellowship getting, you know, going to Bible college? Is fellowship memorizing scripture? Is fellowship leading people to Christ? And the scripture tells us directly from Jesus in John chapter 13 that fellowship is loving one another. It's love. And when you study the New Testament, you can see, especially in 1 Corinthians 13, which we know is the love chapter, but also in Colossians chapter 3, the accumulation of all of our growth should be to love one another. We love him and so we love other people. And as we're growing in these things, the way that we used to be will change. Now, you might cringe at that because you say, well, are you saying there's evidence of salvation? I'm not saying there's evidence of salvation, but there definitely is evidence of growth. And we should be, you did, that evidence should be displayed. People can see it. They can see the change in you, and it's supposed to glorify God. But sadly, people never get to that next step. They never get to that next level. They plateau. It's like when someone starts a new workout program and they start with the same amount of weight. They just do that for three weeks. And then they, the fourth week, they're like, I'm not feeling anything. I'm not getting any stronger. It's, well, you need to increase the weight. You have to run into more adversity so that you can gain more strength. This is how we grow as Christians, too. The more that we gain muscle strength is a result of how we go through adversity. How much do you love one another? How much do you love the Lord? And many people love their sin more than they love the Lord. And all these things come together to where you have two groups of, of believers, those who are obedient and those who are disobedient. They're still believers. They're still God's children, but the conditions are different. And you'd be surprised. Philemon is a, is, is a book that's written from the Apostle Paul to a man named Philemon, and he is asking Philemon to grow in the gifts he's already demonstrated. In a specific situation, he's going to, he's going to talk about this man Onesimus, but it's important to see why Paul is asking Philemon to do this plea that he has. And so we're going to go through the entire book. I know, multiple chapters, many, many pages, but I think we'll be able to get through it. As you can see, it's one chapter. And if you have a Schofield Bible, it's barely two pages. But I want, to, I want you to see how Paul has structured his letter and how through the Holy Spirit, his request to Philemon is really for him to continue to grow and he can grow in this way. There's a specific request that Paul makes. But let's go to the Lord in prayer, shall we? Father, we thank you so much for books like Philemon that show us multiple aspects of the Christian life rolled into one action for one man. We thank you, Lord, for forgiveness that is available immediately upon belief in Jesus Christ. And how that forgiveness should not just stop at the forgiveness of our sin, but we should forgive one another. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. So let's look here at a couple of notes. The first one is right there in verse 1, Paul makes a statement. He says, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother unto Philemon, our dearly beloved and fellow laborer. A couple of things I want you to note here. Number one, Paul addresses Philemon as a fellow laborer. As a pastor, I really like this. This draws my attention. That word, I think, is intentional and specific. Paul is not flexing his apostolic muscle to say, 
this is, I am commanding you to do something out of this power that I have. He says, we are fellow laborers. We're doing this together. And I think for pastors, one of the greatest temptations is begin to lord yourself over the people, to make the people accountable to you. There is church discipline. There are expectations and standards, and those things have to be addressed, and all of that should be addressed. But the attitude and mindset of a Bible teacher, of a pastor, is we are fellow laboring together. And that's exactly how Paul addresses himself. And think about this. Paul was with Jesus. He saw and talked to him. This is a very special man, somebody who you want to make sure you're there to listen, and yet he's so humble that he looks at a man that he's probably led to Christ, and he says, we're doing this together. I specifically try to incorporate that in my language when I talk to employees here at the church, when I talk to you. I try to remind us that we're doing this together. There are specific things that I'm doing that you're not going to be doing just because of where we all are. And I'm not saying spiritually, I'm just like, you know, physical places. There are things you do that I don't do. But it's all for the same goal. It's all for the same outcome. This is how you can see what Awana's doing and you can see what Ranch is doing and say two different groups, two different goals, but all working towards one thing, getting kids under the sound of the gospel and making disciples. How they do that is going to differ, but it all is for the same thing. Down to the ladies' Sunday school class, same thing. Getting people under the sounds of the gospel, getting people to be disciples. You work through all of that, and you have a church that's functioning, and everybody's on the same page, because we're all trying to win people to Christ, and then get people to serve the Lord. And you do that together, and now you can say we're fellow laborers. There's not one part of the ministry here that's like, oh, they're totally excluded from what we're trying to do. I mean, from the highest position down to the lowest position, everything is working towards bringing praise, honor, and glory to the Lord. But the main focus I want you to see here is there's a word that Paul uses to describe himself, and it's the third word in that verse, Paul, a prisoner. Now, we're going to do a little bit of walking through the New Testament. I did not highlight every instance in which Paul describes himself as a prisoner, but I went through the ones that I thought were important. Why I think this is important is because Paul is not, like I said, using his apostolic power to make Philemon do something that would probably be uncomfortable for him. He's saying, we're doing this together. I'm a fellow prisoner as you are a fellow prisoner. And this is not the first time that Paul has written and described himself in such a way. So hold your spot here in Philemon. I told you before, I used to cut these out. If you look up here, I used to cut these out of my Bible, these little bookmarks, but Turns out they're uh, really handy, almost like they were put there for a reason. So you can hold your place there and go to the book of Ephesians. We'll start there. We're going to look at these uh, specific instances in which Paul describes himself as a prisoner. I love this kind of study, so I I pray that this is a blessing to you tonight. I don't think it's going to be very preachy, but it'll be this. I just want to walk through this with you. I love this kind of study. In Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 1 says, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of the Lord of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given me to you, word, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in a few words, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles, and prophets by the Spirit, and this is, the big, this is a big verse in, in dispensationalism, by the way, but it's a, it's a revelation of, of course, what he's re- talking about in this chapter, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. Before Paul gives this extremely important set of revelation to those in Ephesus, he describes himself as a prisoner of Jesus Christ. He is an apostle, He saw the risen Savior. He performed the miracles. He meets all those qualifications, but he does not lean on those as his power and authority. He's a fellow love slave for the Lord. Look in chapter 4 and verse 1. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with longsuffering, forbearing one another in love, enduring to keep the unity of the Spirit 
in the bond of peace. The unity of the Spirit is going to be disrupted when sin enters into a person's life. When sin is something that takes over as a primary motivator and a primary source. We read that comment uh, this morning about temptation, how when people are tempted to sin, as it, it, it's not as if they want to disobey God, but it's they act as though he doesn't even exist and only the creature exists and they just try to consume upon their own lusts. And what Paul is saying here is the reason why I'm asking you to walk worthy, keep the unity, is because we're prisoners together. We're doing this together. Look in chapter 6 and verse 20. For, uh, for which I am an ambassador in bonds. This is a reference to his imprisonment. So you mean the Apostle Paul was literally imprisoned? Yeah, quite a bit as a matter of fact. In bonds that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Look in um, Philippians chapter 1 and verse 7. There's actually a lot of references here in Philippians. What we just saw there in Ephesians 6.20 is, as an ambassador in bonds, he's asking for prayers, even though he's in um, prison at that time. Verse 7 of Philippians chapter 1. Even as it is meet for me to think of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds, and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, Ye all are partakers of my grace. This is one of the things I love about a study of, of Paul, his humility. I think when, when he was a lost man, he was lifted up in pride. He persecuted the church severely. He led people to their death. He spoke witness against them. And at his conversion, when he put his trust in Jesus Christ, Jesus tells him that he's going to suffer many things for his name's sake. But Paul, he took that, how do I say this? He took that as a badge of honor, as, as he felt so worthy to carry this message out. And I want you to see his attitude, because this is the attitude that all of us should possess. We should not think to be over each other for the sake of my experience and, and record is better than yours. What can I do to help you? What can I do to assist you in your walk? Because we're doing this together. I want to help you be in the best position so that when you're at the judgment seat of Christ, you can have proper rewards and you can get that WD degree, that well done. I want that for you. You're not my adversary. I don't want to do something better than you. I want to help you. And Philippians talks about that in more detail. As a matter of fact, look in verses 13 through 14 as Paul continues this this theme here in our study about him mentioning himself as a prisoner. Verse 13, So that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places, and many of the brethren in the Lord waxing confident by my bonds. He says, as I'm in prison here physically, I want you to get stronger. How can I do that? Here's how you're blessing me. We're not going through all of Philippians, but we have before. About this time last year, actually, we went through the first chapter of Philippians. And it's all about joy. It's all about how greatly encouraged Paul is by their progress, by their prayers for him, and he prays for them in turn. But the rest of that verse here, waxing confident in my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Look in verse 16. The one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds. So even while he's in prison here as a prisoner of the Lord, as his adversaries speak against him, Christ is still preached. This is a man who sees higher than the physical things here on the earth. This is somebody that recognizes, even as they mock me and mock Christ, he's still preached. He's still someone that is discussed. They're still talking about him. This is why it's important how we live our Christian lives, because people are watching. I'll never forget one day I came in late for choir practice. I did not have proper attire on. And I had a face that looked like I just, you know, put a lemon in my mouth for the entire drive over for the morning service. And I walked by Pete's office, which is right back there, and he saw me in such a condition. And I sat in the choir loft, and I just, I looked like I didn't want to be there. And it wasn't because I didn't want to be there. It's just because I knew I didn't get up on time. I didn't take care of the things I was supposed to take care of. I didn't think it was any problem. Well, choir practice ended. And I got pulled into Pete's office. And he told me, 
whether you like this or not, people look at you and look at how you behave. Now, as a young man full of pride at the time, I took that as an offense. But very quickly, because Peter has good, he had very good discernment of situations, he told me, you have to recognize, you are no, you're, you're not here for yourself. You are an example. You are an ambassador of what Christian behavior should look like. I mean, at the time, that was probably 2014 or 15. And he said, there may be a possibility that you could pastor this church and the way you carry yourself will be a reflection of your ministry, whether, you, whether that's fair or not. And of course, I thought, this is nitpicking, this is extreme, but it, I get that now. I get that now. Because people do watch you. That is a part of your testimony. So, you know, when you walk out of church tonight and you get ready for work and you go to work tomorrow, what kind of example do you set? Paul described himself at all times. He's, he's a prisoner. He's a servant for the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, he's an apostle too. And the only time he really mentions his apostleship is when he's defending it. Because it came under attack all the time. I think it's funny when people think they get a new idea that Paul wasn't an apostle. It's like they're sitting at home and they go, oh my goodness, no one's ever had this idea before. It's like starting Galatians chapter 1 and just keep reading. <laughs> and you'll see all about what people said about Paul and who he really was. And of course, we know that's an attack directly from Satan. If you can take away what Paul wrote, you won't have many uh, clear instructions. Now, Jesus is clear enough. I just got an email recently. I read this email, and I'm reading these people, you know, their, their logic as to why we shouldn't read Paul. And at the end of the day, it's just so much, it's, it's like drawing bubbles, the amount of circular reasoning that's going on in their arguments. Not once do they appeal to Scripture, by the way. You know who they appeal to? Commentators, authors. Very, very rogue, separatist church fathers. They say, they wrote this one thing this one time. And they act as though that's the closest we can get to the truth. Well, how about the thing that's inspired by God? Let's let that do all the speaking. And then everybody else is tested by this standard that's set. That doesn't happen, though. All right, before we get off track too far, let's look in Colossians chapter 4, continuing this theme of um, Paul's consistent view of himself as a prisoner. Colossians chapter 4, in verse 3. Bless you. Thank you. You're welcome. With all praying also for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds. Not only was it evident in the way that he prayed for people, but it's evident that they put him in prison for this reason that he spoke about Christ. Look at verse 18. I'm pretty sure this is in a... Yeah, that's the last verse in the chapter. The salutation by the hands of me, Paul. Remember my bonds. Remember my bonds. Grace be with you. Amen. And then in 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verses 8 through 9. Be not therefore ashamed of, my, of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. See, this was the temptation. I think really, one of the main reasons why I think that, that well, it's not a main reason, but it is a reason why I think that uh, Paul wrote Hebrews, is because, you know, he, he, in the eyes of the world, he's not a law-abiding citizen. He's a rule breaker, he's a troublemaker, He's somebody who stirs up contention. I mean, you remember what happened when he went to Jerusalem. They started a riot and blamed it on him. Uh, so he was really someone that was kind of like, he was an instigator. And what he's saying here is, don't let the way the world looks at me affect how you serve the Lord. Be not therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Jesus Christ before the world began. So now when we get to Philemon, which is the next um, reference that we, that we see here about this prisoner aspect, he says it several times within the book itself. Look in verse 1. Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, unto Philemon, our dearly beloved and fellow laborer. Look in verse 9 and 10. 
Yet for love's sake, I rather beseech thee, being such an one as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Verse 10, I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds. There's the reference again. Look at verse 13. Whom I, ha- whom I would have retained with me, in the bonds there, that in thy stead he might have ministered unto me in the bonds of the gospel. And then look at verses 22 through 23. Uh, But withal prepare me also a lodging, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be given unto you. There salute thee, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Jesus Christ. So he makes reference of this, and there's a reason why in the letter, but I want you to see this is not the first time that he's made that reference. Because what he's about to ask Philemon to do, he knows will be an offense. Because this man that he's going to ask Philemon to forgive has caused him an offense. But he's going to go off of Christian doctrine to plead the case for this brother. So that Philemon will, not out of force of Paul's command, but out of his own volition, he chooses to forgive. There's a lot of great lessons here, and that's what we're going to get into. Look at verses 4 through 7. This is going to be Paul's um, commendation of... of, uh, Philemon's growth. Now, we're not talking about the slave yet, Onesimus, but he's talking about Philemon. He's saying, you've grown, and that's been a benefit to us. Look at verse 4. I thank my God, making mention of thee always in my prayers, hearing of thy love and faith, you should note that, love and faith, which thou hast toward the Lord Jesus. I think this is an important thing to note. Whatever Philemon's growth is, it was evident that he loved Jesus. And that means he's obedient to Jesus' commands to love him. This is a man who's growing. This is a man who has evidence of his growth through his actions. But not only does it benefit the Lord Jesus, he says at the end of that verse, and toward all the saints, that the communication of thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in thy love, because the bowels of the saints are refreshed by thee, brother. So we're not talking about someone who is spiritually immature. Paul's not asking a young baby Christian to forgive a young baby Christian and accept him back into service with him. He's talking to a man who has grown by the yielding to the Holy Spirit. Hold your spot here and go to Galatians chapter 5. We're going to look at the fruit of the Spirit. Because there are three things that are mentioned here uh, by Paul about Philemon's growth. He says it's love, faith, and encouragement. Although he doesn't say encouragement, I think that's what's implied there. He's a man of love towards Jesus Christ and towards other believers. He's a man of faith, faithfulness in his work for the Lord. And he also encourages other believers. Look at this list here in Galatians chapter 5. In verses 22 through 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. People want to ask, they, they, they ask all the time, how do I know that I'm growing? It's almost a question that I don't answer because I tell them, if you do what the Bible says, you will grow. Because it's not you're adding to it, it's This is abiding in the new nature through the power of the Holy Spirit. You're going to grow because that's what that new nature is going to do. Don't worry about testing yourself. Just worry about being obedient. Worry about getting closer to the Lord. And all those things will come. I've heard people too say they only have a few of the spiritual, uh, of the the, uh, fruits here. Well, fruit is singular. This is all-encompassing. As you grow, each one of these areas will get stronger. And it'll, it, it will be a step of habit instead of something you have to constantly remind yourself to do. Why is this important? Because what Paul's going to ask Philemon to do is to exercise these fruits. He's going to ask him to exercise what he's growing in and grow a little further than what he's done before. Go back to Philemon. Paul noted these characteristics in Philemon because he was going to ask them, ask him to use them towards Onesimus. And that's exactly what we see here in the third section, 
we see Paul's plea for this brother Onesimus. Look in verse 8. We're in Philemon now. Philemon, verse 8. Wherefore, and I want you to see this here, though I might be much bold in Christ to enjoy thee, uh, enjoin thee that which is convenient, yet for what sake, folks? Love's sake. I rather beseech thee, being such a one as Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner of, of Jesus Christ. What's he talking about here? Verse 8, he's saying, it would be a temptation for me. I don't want to say a temptation in an evil way, but I could just tell you to do this. Accept this man back. And that's it. On whose authority? On the fact that I'm an apostle. Could he have done that? Yes, he could have. I don't think he would have been wrong either. Because if you see what Onesimus was and what he is now, there's actually a lot of instructions that he should welcome him back. But Paul wants Philemon to exercise his own will. To do this because he wants to, not because he has to. Volition is an extremely powerful motivator. I tell people this all the time, especially in college. And Blake's one of my students, so he'll know. He'll say, yes, I've heard this four times this week. You should come to Bible college. You should serve the Lord because you want to, not because someone is telling you to. Now, we have a very clear instruction from the Lord to do it. But the person that's going to stick, that's going to continue on through adversity, is the person that's doing it out of their own volition. I've seen many students get all this help, all this help with school, with transportation, whatever it may be, all this help, and they, they don't finish. And the first time it happens, you're like, okay, you know, maybe, they, maybe it's something that, that uh, they just didn't have the right thing in them or whatever it was. But after it started happening two, three, four, five times, you begin to develop a pattern. If you don't want to be here, I know it sounds so simple, then you won't be here. And if Paul simply demands Philemon to take this slave back, then there's a chance that Philemon may hold some bitterness. Because Paul has not experienced the difficult side of Onesimus, but Philemon has, which you'll see here in a moment, and it's just by one word, and some other things too. But the way that Philemon can forgive Onesimus is not simply on Paul's behalf, but because he's been forgiven by Jesus Christ. This is what you call exercising forgiveness, okay? As you have been forgiven, so forgive others. You can't teach this. It has to be done. This is something you have to actually do. And you know what? You forgive people when they've offended you. So you have to be, you, you, you have to be offended. I'm not saying you take offense, but someone does something against you. And you have an opportunity now to restore that which was broken. And this is where a lot of Christians fail. And they fail just because they're young in the Lord. They're young in actual spiritual exercise. But the more people are coming against you and are hard against you and are difficult, the more is it, there's an opportunity for you to forgive as Christ forgave. Think about it. Jesus didn't do anything wrong and he was put on a cross. He was perfect in every way and he was still falsely accused. And you and I are not even close to perfect. If we're all being honest, we're not even close. Yet some of us can't forgive like Jesus forgave. Paul is saying here to Philemon, I want the next thing I'm going to ask you to do, I want you to do it because you want to. I could tell you to do it. But for the sake of love. And what's what is love? It's to will the good of another. And how did God demonstrate his love toward us? Jesus. You see how Jesus is the glue for everything? When you see love as the bond of maturity, and if I have all these things but I don't have love, I'm a, I, I have no profit, I am nothing, I'm a tinkling uh, symbol, whatever it is. How, does that, how is that so? Is it just we have to love in the way the world describes love, like tolerate and don't make people feel uncomfortable? You've got to love in how God has demonstrated his love, and that's through the good news of Jesus Christ. That's why I cringe when people say, oh, I've moved on from the gospel. I'm like, ooh. You haven't moved to something better. <laughs> the gospel is how we can forgive. The gospel is how we can grow, how we can become disciplined. 
because of all these things that have been given to us. All right, look at what he says here uh, in verse 14, just very quickly. But without thy mind would I do nothing. So he's saying, without consulting with you, knowing what you're thinking, would I do nothing, that thy benefit should not be as if it were of necessity, but what? Willingly. I think of Isaiah, here I am, Lord, send me. If, 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 if I had two people that wanted to be missionaries and there was one who went because I instructed them and there was one who came to me and said he wanted to go, I want the person that came to me and said they wanted to go. That's someone that's going to last. Because their faith and their hope and security is not based on me. It's based, they're trusting in the Lord and I would so prefer that than them trusting in me. Now go back to verse uh, 10. I jumped there to 14 because I wanted you to see that last, side, uh, that last note not be, as it were, of necessity, but willingly. I beseech thee for my son, Onesimus, and I want you to take some notes here, whom I have begotten in my bonds. That's a loaded statement. What does it mean to begot somebody? This is a family tie. You know what Onesimus' name means? Profitable. Isn't that something? I just think that's uh, interesting. And now we see that he's been begotten by Paul while he was a prisoner. What does this mean? This is a fellow brother in Christ who at one time when he was serving Philemon was an unprofitable servant, unsaved. The relationship got severed. Time goes on. Paul lands himself in prison. This guy, Onesimus, is there. Paul leads him to Christ. Sounds like some people you know. Sounds like a soul winner. Here he is in prison. You would think this was not on the schedule. You know, he, he could have been brooding, upset, whatever it is, but he looked at it as an opportunity. He led this man to Christ. And it's the very basis that now he's a brother in Christ. Let's welcome him back as Jesus has brought you in. So bring this man in. But he knows the difficulty of the human nature. Paul knows the difficulty of the human nature. You know, there's people that say, I'll forgive, but I'll never forget. Well, that's not forgiving, folks. That's a grudge. And that, that only hurts you. That's a massive stone on your back that you put there. And it's a sign of immaturity. To say, well, I'll forgive you, but I'll, I'll never forget. What are you really saying? Boy, aren't you glad God doesn't treat us that way? As a matter, as a matter of fact, our sin is as far as the east is from the west. Gone, gone, gone. Praise God. It's all gone. God is not, I'm not going to wake up tomorrow and God's going to say, you remember that? thing that you did, I'm, I'm just going to be so mean and, and, and vindictive towards you today because of that one thing. I'm welcomed in. I'm justified by the blood of Jesus Christ. That is true forgiveness. The world does not know that forgiveness. Why? Because that's forgiveness that is born of God. It's not a part of the human nature. Human nature is to shed blood. Human nature is to bring into bondage against somebody's will. Not so with the love of Christ. So let's continue. Whom I have begotten in my bonds, verse 11, which in time past, so before, was to thee, Philemon, unprofitable. But now profitable, and I want you to note this here, to thee, Philemon, and to me, Paul. And I add another one. He's profitable to God too. This is a child of God now. So I want you to see these reasons here. There's five of them. Number one, Paul lays out a reason for Philemon to accept Onesimus back because he's saved now. We see that in verse 10 with begotten in my bonds. Number two, he's profitable. Verse 11, he says that right there. But now profitable to thee and to me. And I believe by inference there to God as well. Number three, he can help. Look at verse um, 13. We'll, go, we'll, we'll look in 12 in a minute, but look at 13. Whom I would have retained with me, that in thy stead he might have ministered unto me in the bonds of the gospel. So evidently, Onesimus was profitable in this condition that he was with Paul, that he could have helped Paul as he continued out with the gospel. And I know I'm inferring here, but the, the number one way I think Onesimus could help is lead people to Christ. 
He could lead people to Christ. Paul is in prison. I don't know if Onesimus is a prisoner there with him or a guard. It's not specific. But he's, he has some type of value to Paul. Paul said, I would have preferred he's with me so that we could minister together. But he wants him to go back with Philemon because I think there's a lesson that is to be learned and taught here. And we'll, we'll get to that in just a moment. Number four, so he is saved. He's profitable. He can help. Number four is in verse 16. He's a brother. Not now as a servant, which is a slave. So that was a relationship before. And, and some people think of the kind of slavery that was here in the South and all that. It's very different. About a third of people actually in this time were considered indentured servants. It was something that you did. Um, not to say it was right, but that's not what's up for debate. It was not the hard serve slavery that is portrayed as American slavery. But he says here, don't welcome him back as someone who is under your authority again. Look what he says. Not, a, uh, not now as a servant, but above a servant, a brother beloved. You don't look at a beloved brother with a sneer. You don't look at him and say, oh, good to see you. How are you? And you pat the back because you're not trying to comfort him. You're trying to figure out where am I going to get my revenge. That's not... That is not Christian brotherly love. And you know what? This is the thing, too. We have a little bit of time, so I can go off on this for a moment. That's how a lot of people are up here. And on the outside, they look very good. They smile. They got it down pat. But on the inside, they are berating that person. Like, oh, that. Here they come. Hey! That's not... That's not spiritual growth. That's deception. And you know the person you deceive the most? You. And it's a terrible thing to rob yourself of these opportunities because the world's already against you. Hypocritical behavior lands you nowhere positive. And so, honestly, when you go home tonight, you might be thinking about this. You, say, you know, pastor's talking about X, Y, and Z. You think about, there are some things in my life that need to change. Don't do them because I said so. Do them because God has instructed it. Talk to Him. Get closer to Him. Some of the sweetest time you can have with the Lord is confessional time. Where you have the light now. You say, the, the light bulb turned on and you say, what I called sin, what I called uh, service and okay and acceptable, you say that it's sin, God, and I'm, I'm going to get right with you on that definition. I agree with you and I'm not going to do those things anymore. And 1 John says our fellowship is restored. That's like you get in a fight with a brother or a sister, and I mean, you know, in your own family. And all the hardness goes away when y'all just sit down together on the couch and you just, you just talk to one another and get past what was put in the way. The relationship gets stronger then because you're going through these things together. But the great thing is you don't have a God that you have to get right with because He's wronged you. He's always right. We're the ones that step out. We're the ones that have these issues. But there's always a door back. That's a healthy habit in the Christian life. That's what brings growth because the next time you're tempted to go back into that sin, maybe for Philemon here, maybe, I don't know how much of a problem Onesimus was to him, but evidently he was to accept him back. How many times maybe did Philemon remember this servant that burned him, that put him in a bad spot? And now Paul, of all people, is telling him, welcome him back. Paul gives him great reasons to welcome him back. The main one is, he's one of us now. He's not of the world anymore. He's born again. Bring him back. And I see many times people say, but don't you know what he's done? Doesn't matter if I know, God knows. Now that doesn't mean we continually let people go on and sin. You know, There is such a thing as church disciplines, very strongly worded in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Deliver this man's body up to Satan doesn't mean his soul is going to be destroyed. But guess what? You can be in such a disobedient, wicked state as a Christian, it's better off if you were dead. That's strong. That's strong not at the, oh, God, uh, you know, God is so difficult and, and you better, better be on your P's and Q's. No, that's how serious sin is. That's how serious sin is. It destroys this body in which we are described now as a temple. Look how seriously they take the temple in Israel. Look how much they mourned over it. 
They're, they're trying to get it built right now. We could stop and have a whole conversation about that because there's some very interesting things going on with some stuff coming out of Saudi Arabia. But anyway, that's for another day. But we see now how, how, how now we are considered to be this temple where the Holy Ghost is. And if you allow sin to reign here, God's not going to tolerate that. And guess what? He can take you home. And He will. And many people are looking for, well, what is it? What's the line? What's the line? Don't worry about the line. How about obey? Don't try to find how far you can push it. Just do what's right. <laughs> I, I laugh when people are like, well, what's, what's the line? Do you want to know? How about we just look at what we're told to do? But that's the hardest thing for people to do. You know, to be obedient and submissive. He's saved, he's profitable, he can help. He is a brother, verse 16 and verse 17. Read it here. If thou count me therefore a partner, receive him as myself. And that's my last one here. He is a partaker of the gospel message. He is a messenger of this good news. Paul says, if it's hard and difficult, pretend that it's me. Why would Paul say that? Because they are one and the same. They're both children of God. They're both evangelists sent out to get that gospel message out. Look here for, for just a moment. Um, we didn't cover these because they weren't in the points, but start back there in verse 12. Whom I have sent again, thou therefore receive him that is mine, that is mine own bowels. I think this is more of a testimony that Onesimus got saved. Whom I would have retained with me, that in thy stead he might have ministered unto me in the bonds of the gospel. But without thy mind would I do nothing, that thy benefit should not be as it were of necessity, but willingly. For perhaps he therefore departed for a season, that thou shouldest receive him forever. And so, so Paul's saying, maybe this is, this, is, this is what was supposed to happen, that he departed so that he would be in, uh, under my influence, get saved, and then go back to you. And now there's a, there's a definite testimony, something that is, that is physical, people can see about this is what forgiveness is. Maybe the issue between Philemon and Onesimus was so well known that it was like, he's back? Whoa. What changed? Well, Philemon changed and Onesimus changed. But you know what's the same about him? Jesus Christ. He's the only reason why those things could be. 16. Not now as a servant. Don't receive him back as a servant, but above a servant, a brother, Beloved, especially to me, he's helpful to me. But how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord? So he's saying, you don't, <laughs> I heard this phrase recently, it's like, you don't have to, you get to. Right? We were digging out there in that uh, uh, field the other day, and we're thinking, we don't have to do this, we get to do this. And you know, it's a funny thing, because you're thinking, we do have to do this. <laughs> but the mindset changed. We get, uh, we get to work on God's property. We get to help. That's a, that's a privilege. That's something that was not possible when we were lost sinners in the world. Everything that we did before we came to faith in Christ was an offense to God. But now, because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, faith in Him, we get to serve Him. And I think that's what Paul means here. He says, you get to have Him in person and you work together spiritually. Running out of time, so wrapping up here, let's continue. Verse 17. If thou count me therefore a partner, receive him as myself. So then he goes to Paul's advocacy. So he, you're going to see him advocate for Onesimus. Because it looks like Onesimus may have left in a set of circumstances where he had debt. Look what it says here in 18. If he hath wronged thee, or oweth thee aught, put that on mine account. I love this. Because Paul is not saying just simply write it away. Paul is doing what Jesus did for him. God did not look at our sin and say, I'll just turn a blind eye. It demanded payment. And Jesus paid that price. And so in the same way, Paul says for Onesimus, if there's something he owes you, charge me. I'll do it. Let him go free. Man, I got chills when I think about that. Paul is not merely someone that's just towing the party line. He's putting action behind it. This is a man who's growing. And he's begging Philemon, if there is something that he owes, I want so badly for him to be with you because I know the quality and character of this man 
And I know there may be hardness here, but if there's some type of financial obligation, I will take it for the sake of him. That's, that is a very good picture of the sin transfer. And I like that Paul says, he doesn't say, I'll oh, just forget it. You know, not that big of a deal. No, the debt must be paid. Put that on my account, 19. I, Paul, have written it with mine own hand. I will repay it. Albeit, I do not say to thee, uh, how thou owest unto me even thine own self besides. Yea, brother, and this is his closing here, let me have joy of thee in the Lord. Refresh my bowels in the Lord. Having confidence in thy obedience, I wrote unto thee. So he's calling back, he's saying, I know how obedient you are. I've heard of your testimony, knowing that thou wilt also do more than I say. And this is why I like this last verse. And I, I believe that Paul knew enough about Philemon's growth that he would do what he's asking him to do. And that is a great testimony of somebody's spiritual growth in action. It didn't just happen. Philemon just didn't wake up one day and all of a sudden God began to puppet him like the Calvinists would say. Philemon made a choice. God honored that choice. And he grew and he grew and he grew. Now he's got to the point where he can bring back someone who's caused great offense to him. Whose very name means profitable. And Paul is advocating for him. And you would think, Philemon, what's there in Philemon? Philemon is an example book. As you have seen, go do. Think about when Paul says that in Philippians. The things that you have seen of me and heard of me, received in me, go do them. We should forgive like this. There may be people that God has brought to your mind right now that you could forgive and you have not forgiven them in this way. Well, the ball is in your court now. What are you going to do? I hope you would do it out of a willing spirit, out of your own volition. But if you choose not to forgive, recognize that that's a choice that you make. And just be thankful that God did not treat you that way. That kind of sounds like when Dr. Lindstrom would tell somebody who rejected the gospel, he would tell them, well, just don't stop breathing. Because it's like, <laughs> what's the point of that? When I say, if you're not willing to forgive somebody, just be thankful that God was willing to forgive you. That's supposed to remind you of the truth. That you're a forgiven person. Paul does not, oh, I, we already got through that note. Then he mentions several people here. He calls them fellow, fellow laborers. Take a look who's in 24. Demas. You know much about, about Demas. That didn't last long. That's a, sad, that's a sad study. But he called him a fellow laborer. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. What's his parting words? The grace. What's the grace? The gospel. You see how it starts, goes through? And ends with that. That's why I cringe when I hear people say, oh, well, brother, I've moved past the gospel. I'm eating spiritual meat. I don't know if it's spiritual, and I don't know if it's, like, still good, you know? Just be careful of that. So I want to share the gospel message with you, and someone has so kindly actually made me. Um, this is homemade sin. <laughs> Y'all are going to hear a lot of that until I really forget <laughs> to say it, but I think this is a great illustration, so... But this is, this is what Philemon understood at one point. This is what Paul understood at one point. This is what Onesimus understood at one point. And all the people that they would lead to Christ thereafter, it's the same message. It doesn't change. It's, if it's sufficient for them, it's sufficient for us. This hand would represent you and me, and this is our sin. This is not a good thing. This is why we fall short of the glory of God. The glory of God is perfection, and we all fall short. God loves us, hates our sin, it separates us from Him. People think that you can pay this off with good works, with religious piety, with good intentions, with uh, prayer, with turning from something, starting something, stopping something, whatever it is. This has to be paid. Someone has to shed their blood. Someone's got to die for this. It's not by any good works. The Bible says, not of works lest any man should boast in Ephesians 2.9. But remember I said that God loved us. This is how he demonstrated his love for us. He paid for this. He didn't simply say, ooh, slide a hand and it's gone. Ooh, where'd it go? 
This needed to be paid. He made the payment for us. You recognize that? This hand representing Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God. And we see in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. All of our sin, past, present, and future. And by the way, when He was on the cross, all of our sin was future. Every single sin that we could ever commit, those who would believe and those who would never believe, He paid for every single sin. And when you put your trust in Him, God takes His righteousness, puts it to your account, and now this sin which only condemned you has been paid. The penalty of our sin has been paid. And now we are part of the family of God. We have certain blessings. One of the greatest ones is that we will never spiritually perish. We are born again. Now, people will let this sin get back in the way of their fellowship with God. They let the power of this rule in their lives. That doesn't mean they're not saved. It means they're not growing and they're disobedient and they subject themselves to God's chastening hand. So we need to continually sanctify ourselves through walking in the new nature, obeying the word. And here's the great promise that one day when you die, this will never be a problem again. You get a brand new body and that's our glorified body. And that's what should motivate us to serve the Lord now. But how do I get saved? It's not denying this, denying this, paying for this. You put your trust in Jesus Christ, that he paid for it. He was buried and rose again. And that is what gets you everlasting life. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, shall we? Heads bowed and eyes are closed, please. Nobody's looking around. Just for If you're here tonight and that made sense to you and you'd like to know that you have eternal life, it's very simple. Just put your trust in Jesus Christ. That his death, burial, and resurrection paid for all of your sin. The moment you do, the Bible says that you're saved. You can know that you have eternal life. If that made sense online, let us know. You can write a letter, or excuse me, an email, leave a comment. We'd be more than happy to reach out to you. And before we close, heads are bowed and eyes are still closed. There may be some things that were discussed tonight that you look at yourself and say, I am not doing those things. I'm not forgiving. I'm holding a grudge. I'm not allowing a brother or sister in Christ the forgiveness that I should show them. I'm not going to ask you to change that because you may need to talk to God about it, but will you commit to talking to Him? To praying? Would you choose to obey what God reveals to you through His Word? Not only will it be a blessing to the person that you choose to forgive, but it'll be a great blessing to you as well. And let us never forget why we are who we are, because of Jesus Christ. Father, we pray for your quick return. Give us the strength that we need in this evil and wicked world. Lord, let us not be a hindrance to other brothers and sisters in Christ. In Jesus' name, we pray these things.